0: Hey, welcome in to the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scobles across the way. If you're listening on uh, Facebook Live, thanks for checking us out. We just finished up our Wednesday practice, uh, from Morgan's football practice. So hopefully you hop in right here. And that means, yeah, we're recording this a couple days earlier travel. We typically record this on Fridays, but, uh, because we're traveling, uh, to this game and we leave on Thursday, uh, we were having to record it today for time purposes, but nonetheless, uh, time to look towards Arizona State, Oregon, seven o'clock kick, Pac-12 network. Um, Oregon comes in ranked 24th in the country, three and oh, uh, on the year. Arizona State comes in to this game, uh, one and two. Um, they've only won their one game, which was against New Mexico State. They've lost the last two. Um, San Diego State kind of handled them, mm-hmm. uh, week two of the college, college football season. Um, and, and, and they, they won they lost that one 30 to 20, but it wasn't really that close. Um, and then offensively they had an offensive shootout against Texas Tech, but they lost 52 to 45. I think that score was also kind of not really as true telling as close as it ended up being. I right. think, you know, Texas Tech was pretty much, um, in the lead with that game. Uh, throughout the entire se- throughout the entire game, um, I'm not sure what to make of this game. You know, we're going to give our picks, yeah, um, which are very
1: different. We just which, discussed what they're going to be,
0: which are very different later on. But um, part of me says Arizona State's still a Pac-12 team. They're still a team that's going to give Oregon fits. They have some talent at receiver. They've got a talented quarterback. But their offensive line isn't very good. No. They haven't been able to run the football this year nope. a, uh, at a consistent level. And their defense is putrid, a lot like Oregon's last season. And to make matters worse for them, uh, their star linebacker, Krupp, is out for the game with an injury now. And they weren't very good going into it either way. So I think, you know, it, would it surprise me if Oregon, you know, wins by 10 points or 12 points? No. Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Would it surprise me if Oregon, though, went out and blasted them and, and won by 40? Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, especially with the boomer bust type defense that, you know, Arizona right. State takes.
1: Yeah. Well, Arizona State, you know, we mentioned how poor they've been on defense. They do lead the conference in sacks. Actually, I think they're second in the country with 15 sacks in three games. So they're averaging about five sacks a game. They're very, very good at getting to the quarterback. Now, they also give up a ton of big plays because of that. When you blitz a lot like they do, you leave yourself susceptible to be beaten vertically, to be beaten. You know, if, if you basically if you make the play, if you get the play off and don't get beaten by the rush, you have an opportunity to to make a lot of plays downfield because there just aren't as many bodies in front of you. So, um, Oregon has an opportunity. Oregon, which does lead the country by the way in explosion plays this year. Has an opportunity here, I think, for you know a couple of big big plays against Arizona State early, and this thing could get a hand just because of the way Arizona State plays. Now it could also go the other way. Arizona State gets to the quarterback, maybe they get to Herbert, he fumbles or forces an in- interception or something like that, and the game flips as well. But uh, they definitely are a boomer bust defense if you just look at the base met- metrics. They are not very good against the run. They're not very good against the pass. They do force a number of turnovers and they do get a lot of sacks. That's pretty much the only things they do well.
0: They are 118th in the country defensively in plays ten yards or more. They've given up 54 plays in three games, a ton. where an opponent has gone for ten or more yards. Um, and, and to show you perspective, you know, Oregon uh, at the same rate they are 55th in the country and they've only given up nine or 34, excuse me. Um drastically, you know, drastically different. Uh and then to take it to take it just another level as well, um you look at Arizona State and the 20 yard or more plays that they've given up.
1: The explosion they're even, plays.
0: they're even worse. Yeah. They're 122nd in the country and they've allowed 20 explosion plays um so far in three games and I I think this Oregon offense, especially through the air, that's where they've been the most dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Justin Herbert has connected with Charles Nelson, and and we'll talk about Nelson and the potential impact of that. Um, but he's hit Nelson, he's hit Giant Johnson, uh, he's hit Royce Freeman for two fifty-yard catches. Um, he he's, he is connected on the deep ball a couple times yeah. that have gone for over twenty to fifty yards. And
1: that might be the case. We might see three, four, five, six of those uh, Saturday night in Tempe. Wouldn't surprise me in the least bit. Um, let's take a question here from Justin Cordova because this is a carryover from the the Facebook Live we just did. So we want to make sure we get to that quickly here. Um, it's been the run game so far this year. Will they unleash Herbert this week? I think Herbert has been kind of unleashed already. I mean, you look at the way that Nebraska first half went. And obviously, the second half was a forgettable one. But I believe he attempted 25 pass attempts in that game in the first half, which is a huge number um and uh, in terms of do I think they're going to unleash him this weekend I you bet you I think Arizona State is very susceptible against the pass and I think you'll see a heavy dose of both Royce Freeman and Justin Herbert in the pass game just because Arizona State doesn't defend either particularly well um we are maybe concerned about what's going who, who he's going to be throwing to um you know there are questions about a, a number of these pass catchers and their health going forward but irregardless Arizona state has not been good the last two years at all I think ranking last in the conference last year and this year in, in defending against the past so if there's a team that that maybe it doesn't matter as much against it would be it would be this group
0: I think the way Oregon has handled Justin Herbert and his rushing uh, is is very similar to that of Marcus Mariota in 2014. Um, It seemed like early on in that game, in that season for Marcus Mariota that um, he didn't really run the ball all that much off the zone read. You know, and it at times it was probably a little frustrating for fans to watch because it was at times so wide open in that, you know, that season um, for Mariota to make running plays. Mm -hmm. And that's been similar this season, you know, it was interesting. Jordan Kent of, of Comcast Sports Northwest had messaged me on Twitter during the Wyoming game of just how open um, the zone read was for Herbert. And we actually saw in that game a couple carries, yeah. design carries for Herbert. I think this is going to be an opportunity where we see that emerge just a little bit more with, with Herbert. Um, I don't think at all this season it's, it, there's going to be a situation where they're going to run Justin 15 times designed. You right. might end up with, because of scrambles and pressures and stuff.
1: This could be a game where he scrambles a lot, by the way.
0: Right. But I think this could be one of those games where, um, if, if they make it a case, hey look, we know we want to keep you healthy, but this is a game where if you can pull the ball out of Freeman's stomach at the last second, he might, instead of him getting four or five yards, you might be able to get fifteen or twenty yards uh off the tackle off the zone read if, if or if ASU's linebacker or defensive end crashes and, and doesn't give uh an honest coverage of, of that backside rush. No doubt. Um but lots, you know, there's other areas that Oregon can make big plays in too. And uh it's gonna one thing to watch the game within the game is gonna be Oregon's receivers in a one-on-one mm-hmm. battles. Because when you blitz, you're typically playing man-to-man coverage. Right. And, um, typically, some teams run zone off blitzes. Yeah. Um, but Arizona State, you know, they like to play a lot of man. And this is a game where, in those one-on-one situations, you can get big plays if, if your receivers can get off that, that one press coverage.
1: This could be a big Dale Mitchell game, I think. Dill Mitchell, he's performed pretty well the last two weeks. I think six, he led the team in receptions and three receiving yards. Last week, he had a pretty good game against, um, Nebraska as well, I think he had 80 yards in that game. Um, I could say it's been his first 100 yard receiving day if, um, if Oregon needs to throw the ball a decent amount. And even if they don't, I, I think he's gonna be come, just because of the question marks around Charles Nelson, I think he's gonna continue to become a focal point in this receiving, uh, from this receiving core. I liked a lot what I saw from him last week. was kind of, I feel like, the first game we saw him open up and, and show how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. He had a couple of plays against Wyoming where he made a lot of players miss. If he's making players miss in the open field with the way Arizona State plays, that could be one cut and go for, for 60 yards or something for a touchdown. So I, I I look at Dylan Mitchell as a guy potentially to break out, have a big receiving game, and uh, and kind of lead Oregon in a lot of receiving categories just because of the way Arizona State defends.
0: Yeah, there's... I wouldn't be surprised either, um, if, if Oregon comes into this game and somehow finds a way that they have two guys over a hundred yards receiving. That that wouldn't surprise me one bit either. Um one item to watch for is the slot position mm-hmm. and Charles Nelson. Um you and I this week have been pretty pretty consistent thing. We don't think he's gonna play.
1: I would be surprised. He he has not during the twenty minutes each of the last two days that we've had the opportunity to watch practice. We haven't even seen him on the field. He hasn't been dressed. So that's a pretty clear indication. We believe that he will not play this Saturday. Now we, we could be totally off base on that. And, you know, Oregon may be very well the fact that us media members are watching and, and are intentionally keeping him out. And we get all sorts of conspiracy. I mean,
0: he was listed on the depth chart. He was chart listed on the depth time. chart as a
1: starter. But uh, so was Tybee Robinson, I think, one week where he didn't play. So, I mean, it, 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 it's possible. He And Austin Fiallo last week was listed on there, and he didn't even travel. So, Uh, I I think I'd be surprised if Charles Nelson plays in this game, and that brings up the question of who fills in there. Last weekend it was a heavy dose of Darian McNeil and Taj Griffin. Um, McNeil, I think they threw it to him four or five times, no receptions. Taj did catch the one pass for a touchdown for 20 yards. Um, They're going to need better production out of those two guys, I think, this week, just in terms of – and even if that means – screen passes or, or fly sweeps. They need to have something out of that position, I think, to kind of keep the defense honest, or else they're going to be able to play a little bit differently on the outside. So I think those two guys step up. And I think a third name to watch would be Jalon Red, who this week, for the first time in about a month, um, seemed to be full-going practice. It's curious
0: to see how well this, the guys behind Nelson perform. Mitchell, uh, Darian McNeil in the Wyoming game really had struggles mm-hmm. And Taggart was brutally honest about it mm-hmm. um, on Monday in his assessment of how those guys performed um, behind Nelson once he went down with his injury. Um, and it's clear uh, he had a good start that first game against Southern Utah. I think he got a couple of passes, had a couple of runs, yeah. had about 50 all-purpose yards. Uh, but really hasn't done much against Nebraska. Didn't really do much uh, against Wyoming. How does he bounce back? Um, maybe is this you know kind of the sign of? Hey, this is big boy football now, and you you looked impressive in camp, but it's a different deal now. And right. how how quickly can you adjust? Um, and then watching practice and seeing how just attentive and hands on this coaching staff has been with Taj uh, and, and Jalen Red with just the correct ways to run routes and the correct ways to you know, the correct plays that they were running. There's still a learning curve here. These guys are still learning. That process um, uh, of that position group. So this could be a group where there's you know truly just little experience and a lot of coaching is going to have to happen here.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and, and I, I I do look to see I think more production from this group than we saw in the second I guess the last three quarters um, against Wyoming because they were pretty quiet I think just as a as, as a group in that game after. You know, so much production out of Nelson from that position in the first two games in a quarter.
0: Uh, look at this spread. We were kind of talking about this off the air uh, before we started. Um, Oregon opened as a 16-point favorite uh, against Arizona State on the road, which, to me, that was pretty high. Yeah. I, I was kind of surprised that Vegas was that confident in Oregon, that disinterested in, in Arizona State, Um And for the most part, this whole week, the line has stayed the
1: same. Well, it's interesting because – in part because the Oregon line against Wyoming, also on the road, was actually a little bit lower. Yeah. Which means that they have a higher opinion of Wyoming Wyoming. than Arizona State, which – don't get me wrong. I don't think Wyoming is good at all. But what does that make – what does that lead you to believe about (laughs) Arizona State (laughs) if what we saw from Wyoming is – you know, so – I, I did find that surprising. Sorry to people on Facebook Live. Technical difficulty. This seems to happen every week. When I want to use it on, on my cell phone. For some reason it drops it midway through the call. If you did drop questions, um, please re- ask them again and we will answer them. I know there's a couple there that were sort of recruiting oriented. We can get to those, um, when you get a chance. Apologize again for that. We've been talking about the, the line opening. Uh, if you just joined us again, Um opened at 16, now at 15. Uh, would
0: you, would you bet that? Would, would you take Oregon in 16 points?
1: Yes, I think I would.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm, I'm siding on that side as well. I, I, I just think the more I've looked at Arizona State, the more I've heard what people have said about Arizona State, the more I've watched, uh, on Paxwell replays, um, seeing how prolific this offense at Oregon has been, especially yeah. out of the gate. Um, we've seen them do it at home. We've now seen them doing it on the road. Um, I think this has got the makings of a big-time victory for
1: Oregon and one that could get pretty ugly. Well, this is where our opinions kind of differ. I would bet it, but probably not very confidently, just because so many weird things happen late at night in the Pac-12. That's what they call it, Pac-12 after dark. You know, we, the last time Oregon played down in Tempe was a three-overtime game where or, like, just some crazy stuff happened for Oregon. To, Oregon probably should not have won that football game. and um, You know, obviously – that those teams were different in terms of Arizona State was probably a little more competitive that year. Oregon was maybe actually similar, honestly, in right. terms of talent this year. But, um, I, I, I think I'm hesitant. Two, two scores is probably reasonable, but you just don't know what's going to happen in these games. You know, in, in the way, uh, Arizona State gets after you, they get a bounce here, a bounce there. It, it, you know, Arizona State ends up with great field position and then they're able to take advantage and score just kind of like Wyoming did. Right. And I think, I, I do think turnovers, well, I haven't did my five keys yet because we're a little behind, you know, in terms of the week where we're a little different schedule wise, but that will definitely be one of them because I think Arizona State's a team that tries to live off of turnovers. That's why they play so aggressively to try to kind of maybe mask the fact that they're not very good <laughs> on regular, you know, just, I mean, in, in, if, if they're not forcing turnovers or forcing sacks, they're not very good. And so right. they play really aggressively to try to, make up for that. And if Oregon puts the ball on the turf a couple times or if Justin Herbert makes a couple of mistakes mentally, which we see him do. I mean, he's thrown two interceptions, I believe, and actually has uh, thrown a couple other balls that could have been intercepted. If he kind of gets out of rhythm and, and, you know, I could very well see, uh, you know, Arizona State getting a couple takeaways and the momentum and the game flips and then, you know, we're looking at a game where it's tight in the fourth quarter. I don't think that's out of the real possibilities. It's just the weird things that happen. Pack twelve after dark, but I, I do agree. I think Oregon is far and away the more talented team, probably just at about every position group. Uh,
0: this is why I think we differ here, and, and why I think uh, Oregon is going to blow away Arizona State, and they're going to walk away with um, a huge victory. Third down conversions. Arizona State's defense is the worst in the country.
1: And, is that right? Okay,
0: in opponent conversions, uh, allowing fifty-eight percent of. The, of their third downs um, to be converted into first downs. And we're talking 128 uh, out of 128 college football teams. That would be last, Pretty bad. And then conversely, Oregon's offense, uh, they are 10th in the country, and they convert 53%, almost 54% of their, of their third-down conversions. And then understanding the fact that uh, Arizona State leads the country in explosion plays. Allowed. Uh, uh, allowed. Um, with, with, with 20, and then they've got 50, I think the number was 55 plays of 10 yards or more through three games, and seeing how prolific Oregon's offense has been, I think this is going to be a case where Oregon comes out and they get a huge lead. It, it's going to be a lot like Nebraska. And I don't think Nebraska's offense, I think Arizona State's offensive line isn't comparable to Nebraska's and Manny Wilkins, while talented, is going to be having to create so much for himself to stay alive, to keep plays alive, and they're going to become so one-dimensional. Oregon's going to be able to just eliminate the run game a little bit and kind of know what to expect, and they're going to generate a big lead, hold the big lead. Uh, they might not score a ton in the second half. Yeah. That might be a concern again, but they might not have to just because they're going to have a huge, in my
1: opinion, We. First half offense. We team. haven't had an opportunity really to, to, to discuss this, I don't think, on, on the podcast. But Arizona State is, has been actually worse than Wyoming this year in terms of running the football. And Wyoming was really terrible. Uh, Arizona Which State is has, so weird because Callum Ballage is... They've, been, got, they've got talent. It's just that offensive line's not very good. And kind of what I'm getting at and why I, I see what you're coming from is if you're Arizona State, you probably want to establish a run game early and try to have a balanced offense. Try to, you know... Get a, get ahead early, be competitive. If you're not able to run the ball, and they average two point four yards per carry. Which is terrible. Just terrible. And if you're if you get stuffed at the line on first and second down, your first and the third third and longs, we talked about how poorly they convert those. Then and that's probably why they have such a poor third down conversion, because they're probably attempting them on third and eight and third and nine every time. Then you put yourself in a really tough spot because Oregon's not a team you want to get behind against. Even though Oregon has had trouble in the second half, and even though Arizona State actually has been pretty good throwing the football, Manny Wilkins is, I think, averages about eight and a half yards per pass attempt, which is which is very good. Still, I I I I, I understand your, your your argument there, just in terms of there's a possibility Arizona State gets steamrolled, and then do you think they have what's the confidence level that they that they rally? And from what we've seen this year, probably not very high.
0: Let's get to some questions if we've got them uh, yeah. on Facebook Live. If you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering how can I get involved while we're recording this live, just go to facebook.com slash organ two four seven, like that page, uh, and you'll get notifications of when we go on live.
1: Uh, we we had a question here on the previous before it dropped, and I'll well, I'll pose it just because I, I don't remember who asked it. Apologies for that, but somebody asked us, and this is a recruiting question. If if we think Oregon's going to take a quarterback in the 2018 class. I think they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that too, that they need one. Um, it's can you find a talented player that's the right fit, that fits your system, that's worth taking. They're not going to go out and, and sign Jimmy Carter from New Mexico because he's a two-star quarterback and they need a quarterback. You know, if, if they can't find a guy that's – Talented and fits the system, they're going to wait a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got this hunch that you know, we know about Cameron Rising, uh, Texas quarterback commit who's from California Corona Central High School, uh, a program historically Oregon's gone into a couple times and, and recruited well. Most most people remember Cameron Hunt, a four-year starter along the offensive line. Um, he's a guy that, that Oregon has been in talks with, and he's talking with Oregon. Uh, quite frequently, uh, they're trying to see what the interest level with Justin Fields. That would be a
1: heck of a poll. The number,
0: number, one one best, number one player in the yep. class of 2018. Um, Fields is discussing visiting Oregon for an official visit, but he's also talking about a couple other schools for that fifth official visit. Um, I don't think you could sit here today and, and, and say that Oregon is in a good spot with Fields yet. Um, it's still in that preliminary stages. Uh, and then, you know, maybe Colson Yankoff, the guy that was at one time committed to Oregon, a four-star out of Idaho that's currently committed to, to Washington. Maybe he turns things around and gives Oregon uh, a look again. Um, and maybe there's a quarterback that's committed elsewhere uh, that we don't know about yet that decides, hey, I want to look at this Oregon program
1: because the depth chart is pretty open. It is. It, well, quarterback recruiting is really sort of interesting right now because these unlike a lot of these other skill position and just positions in general, quarterbacks commit really really early. I mean, you mentioned Yankoff. Sophomore junior year. Yankoff committed I believe during the summer of his like sophomore year Yes. Oregon and and a lot of going these, into his junior going year. Going into his Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of these guys commit really early, so a lot of the targets you're seeing mentioned as Oregon, you know, as Oregon's top targets are guys committed to to Texas and to Washington and I mean, Fields was committed to Penn State for a while and now he's reopened it up. So I, it's difficult to kind of gauge where things stand because these guys are committed and they're like, how hard or how firm is their commitment? Are they open or whatnot? So everything we're talking about is kind of stuff that's going through the, the back channel. So there's are kind of a list of guys that they're looking at. And I think we both agree that they probably should take a 2018 quarterback. But not just, not, not just, just to anybody, take one, but, but you don't want to be in a situation where you have two scholarship quarterbacks next year kind of in the same situation you are now, and, and then it becomes you're one or two hits away from, you know, a walk-on quarterback playing a lot of times. Taylor Alley,
0: who's scholarship now, but...
1: the next year it would next be... Next year it it would, be would be Birch or something it, it, like that. It's
0: Burmeister, who, at, at this case, is going to look like he's redshirting, um,
1: and then... Well, yeah, Mike Irwin as well, I think, right? Yeah,
0: Michael Irwin, a walk-on, and then someone uh, who's split time during fall camp but has now been basically a receiver for the last month yeah. in Dimitri Birch.
1: Um, let's take another question here from Justin Cordova. This is, I think, another question that will end up being kind of a recruiting-related question. Um, looks like we have a really solid and talented recruiting class at, already at wide receiver and possibly some really good ones yet to commit. Do you think we might see some transfers at receiver over the next year? I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, they're gonna, I mean, the numbers aren't going to be particularly friendly to some guys that may get put behind. I don't think I want to... Discuss which players might transfer, but I think it seems reasonable to assume that if, say, they take four or five commitments in this class at wide receiver, and you throw that in with I think the eleven they have right now minus see if fourteen or whatever it is for next year, one of those guys might sniff it out and think. Transfers gonna... happen
0: everywhere. Yeah, tra- try- I,
1: I, I think. Yeah, I, I think the answer is probably yes.
0: I, and that stuff kind of just solves itself. Um, you know, you, you've seen guys. Couple years ago, Chance Allen, Mm -hmm. who was, you know, a very talented recruit, but, you know, he wanted to play and he was stuck behind guys like Darren Carrington, Byron Marshall, Braylon Addison, Dwayne Stanford, Keenan Lowe, Devin Allen, Allen. you know, the lit Charles Nelson, you know, the list went on and on. And he just, he he said, I want to play. And so I'm, I'm going home. And he went to Houston and had, you know, a terrific two year career, uh, with the Houston Cougars and his senior year, I think he was, their, their best receiver when they went to the Sugar Bowl, I think it was, um, or Fiesta Bowl. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think you could argue at running back there might be a guy that, you know, just because they've got three freshmen right now, they've got two more coming in, mm-hmm. they're going to go after another one in 2019. And that's kind of what you want, I think, from a program because mm-hmm. you want to go out and you want to recruit these guys, you want to recruit at a high level and say, look, it doesn't matter that... You are a starter or that you are a sophomore, you know, and we've got two other guys, you know, on this roster. We're going to go out every year and try and sign the best player at position X Mm -hmm. or the best two players at position Y. And they may come in and they may take a starter spot and you have to fight for it. And it it just creates that competition. And when you have that competition – Guys are going to want to play if they're not going to if they're not going to have a chance to play, and they leave and opens up another spot for more competition elsewhere.
1: Let's take another question here. This one is related to Saturday's game from Micah Eminez. Over under Oregon, 350 rushing yards against Arizona State. I would take the over at that number in a heartbeat because I believe that's pretty close to what Oregon has been averaging this season already. Um, Royce Freeman is, from what we've seen, a pretty much a lock to get 150 or more yeah. yards. and You know, and... Then you throw in Kenai Benoit, who's been averaging about fifty, and you throw in Herbert, who might get forty. I, I think I think the number is three fifty. I would t- I would certainly take the over in this one. Uh, Matt, do you have a Do you think there's any chance it's less? Um, I don't know yet. They're not very. I mean,
0: they average one sixty seven a game, so that's about half. But the thing to mention to remember you mean is state averages. Yeah, allows yeah. allows. Um the thing to remember though is that they played Texas Tech who let's be honest,
1: they, they would throw it they would
0: prefer to throw the ball a hundred times if if they could. Um, but on the flip side they do give up almost five yards per carry. Mm-hmm. And that's one of you know, I think it's ranked like hundred and eleventh uh yards per carry allowed in the country. So you look at Oregon who I think they ran the ball 50 times, at least 50 times in all three of their games this season. I would probably say that's probably that's a very good prop bet. That's a very good number to start with. I would probably say, yeah, they'll, they'll go over 350. I think Rice is going to get over 150, and I feel confident in Kenai and, and Tony Brooks-James uh, getting another 200 yards uh, among them.
1: Yeah, I, I think if Oregon runs the ball 50 times, they're going to have no problem getting this. Given that number, and, and I think, and this could also be totally determined on how the game is, you know, situational how the game is going. If if this ends up being a more competitive game than we expect, maybe Arizona State is leading for the majority of it, and Oregon has to catch up from behind and, and does so throwing the ball. Then yeah, they probably don't get to 350. I think this could very well be a 200 yard Royce Freeman game, though.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that too. Um, the one thing I would say is this could be a frustrating in terms of. How Oregon gets, how Freeman gets those 200 yards. Cause it could be a case where it's 2, 3, negative 1, negative 1, 2, 50, 40, 2, 3, 4, right. 5. You know, he's not gonna have, you know, just because of the way ASU plays their defense, you know, they are so gamble and they're actually more conservative than they previously have been in years past, but they still blitz a ton and it's, it, it's gonna be just, does it line up correctly? Do they guess right and they bring the house when you're running the ball to the right? Or do they guess wrong and you run running to the left side and there's two guys there and you know Freeman has three guys to block. Uh, but yeah, I think there's going to be an opportunity where Oregon goes over 350 yards uh, in this football game. Um, getting close to, to wrapping this, this preview up uh, let's shift gears here a little bit and look at our predictions. Okay um for this game, you and I both think Oregon covers the, the what was it 15 and a half mm-hmm. uh, spread it opened at 16 um, It's just you and I are are a little bit different in terms of by how much
1: I, I think I you know and I and I've kind of conveyed this with the podcast and you've kind of conveyed it, so I think it's pretty easy to guess It would have been easy to guess who thought this game would be closer. I, I think weird things happen in Tempe, and this is mostly what I'm going to be going off of is not statistic based, which is kind of weird for me because it's kind yes. of, I'm kind of the stat guy. Um, because if you look at the stats, Arizona State's really not very good. I, I just have kind of a general feeling that weird things happen in Tempe at seven o'clock on a Saturday, and this, you know, could be some weird plays. And I think Oregon wins, and I think Oregon wins com- fairly comfortably, two scores still. Um, or three scores, I guess. Um, but I have Oregon winning 49 to 31. Um, and, and, and I think this could be a game where Oregon scores their 49 points early again and has a hard time. They score, score 42 back. in the first half? They could score. For, they, we've seen that a couple times happening or all three games. That <laughs> should be a prop bet. Does, be prop, does Oregon score 42? Um, I, I don't know if they'll score that much that fast, but I, I, I think 49-31 is, is where I landed. Matt is much more confident in Oregon this week, as you might be able to tell based upon what we've discussed <laughs> going already on the podcast.
0: I think they hit that 42 mark in the first half. I think they go one past it. I think they get 49. Um I think I've got Oregon winning this one. I've kind of stayed firm on my Oregon number. I've kind of bounced around a little bit on Arizona States, um, but I'm settling on Oregon 63. ASU twenty six. You added six points. I, I gave them a couple more, couple more points. Um, I, I just think seeing how bad Arizona State is overall defensively, how little depth they have. They're without their best player on the defensive side of the ball at linebacker, which is a position that you absolutely have to have talent at to stop the run. Um, and then seeing how just bad they are on third down conversion, seeing how bad they are on, on stopping the running attack, and seeing how good Oregon is at both of those things, um, and then seeing how Oregon has been able to have a ton of explosion plays offensively through three games. I just think this game gets away from Arizona State early, and Oregon can, can just play a one-dimensional game on both sides of the football. And, and just keep Arizona State at bay. Now, I will say this: if if Oregon's defense can't stop on a consistent basis, can't get a couple early stops, and Oregon can't score a couple times early, it's going to be a, a, a game closer to what you have. I just think we're going to see what happens, you know, from 2009 to 2014, Oregon, where they face you know a decent opponent, not a great one, not a bad one and they just steamroll them because they come out of the gates quickly. They score three touchdowns in their first three drives. Arizona State gets three points. Next thing you know, oh, my God, it's 21-3. to We have to throw the ball to catch up. I think that's going to be what plays out in in this game moving
1: forward for Oregon. Here's a weird stat just in terms of Arizona State offense. They've had three different receivers um, have more than a 100 yards in a game this year, which is kind of odd. Um, one of those guys, uh, John Humphrey transferred from Oklahoma, missed the last game with a knee injury. If he doesn't play, I think that's a pretty big hit to their wide receiver group. Uh, we've got three more questions. We'll take all three. Sure. All right. Uh, Calvin James lay asks any recruiting news as far as the defensive line and we need some beef up front. Yeah. You know, I, I
0: think we had in our inside read, um, Oregon's looking at a, a nose guard from St. John Bosco. He's a two star prospect uh, but a guy who's playing really his first year of starter minutes for that program. They constantly put out, you know, multiple, you know, always like around six to 10 division one players every year. His first year starting, um, Morgan's giving him some attention along the defensive line now. I haven't offered yet, but, mm-hmm. uh, and it's probably not what you were hoping. Yeah, right. Um,
1: where's the, where the five stars? <laughs> uh,
0: but you know, and then, you know, they're involved with a couple guys, you know, Tyreek Smith is a defensive yep. lineman. That's a five star prospect. Um, uh, they've got a- Asa Martin, a four-star defensive lineman out of California that they're that they're recruiting. Um, there's guys out there. Um, I just don't think those caliber of guys, and just ironically enough, they're defensive linemen. Yeah. Um, they're waiting. They're not in the situation where, hey, I need to commit soon. You know, they're and they're they play positions too that. Oregon's not going to say, "Hey, we're running out of room." Sorry, it's a position of need, yes. and they need those guys. And then on top of that, you know, they've got three defensive linemen that are pretty good. And Malcolm Lamar, uh, Lamar a four-star guy, Mohamed Diallo, a, a junior college nose tackle, um, and then Jonathan King, uh, another you know defensive end, outside linebacker-ish type prospect. I will say this though, Diallo. Could be one of those guys, uh, who could flip. I wouldn't be surprised if he flips to somebody. I don't know who, um, but he's hearing from other schools. You know, he's not talking to Oregon as often as normal. Um, so it would be surprising if he flips.
1: Uh, two more questions here. Uh, these are both, um, season, re- uh, I guess questions, not recruiting questions. Justin Cordova asks, can Freeman break the single season rushing touchdown record? For the Pac-12. Well, he has 9 through 3 games, which if he did play in a bowl game would put him at like about 45 or something. So, <laughs> uh, if, if they were to, if they were to continue at that rate, then absolutely. Um, I don't think it's to, totally out of the realm of possibility. He's on such a great pace right now with 9 through 3 games, and you figure it's pretty unlikely, uh, unless they play a very stout defense, that he's gonna be held off the scoreboard any time this season, just because he's gonna have the pure, the, the sheer volume and how good Oregon is offensively. They're gonna be, in the red zone, and one thing was worth mentioning is that pretty much all of those touchdowns have been kind of goal-line one Two or, or four-yard four yard rushes. So he hasn't ripped a big one yet. He hasn't had a big, long yeah rushing touchdown yet. So I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that he could finish the year in the 20s in terms of his touchdown production because Oregon's going to consistently get the ball to the one-yard line, and he's the guy that's going to get the football.
0: Would you believe that Oregon doesn't have a player in the top
1: eight? For, would, for a single-season rushing I record? I would have been surprised. I would have thought either Barner or LaMichael in those big years they had. At Barner the and
0: LaMichael are currently tied uh, with Tyler, Tyler Gaffney of Stanford and Jaquiz Rogers of Oregon State with 21. Mm-hmm. The record is 28, which was held by Toby Gearhart in 2009, which was the year Willie Taggart was Toby Gearhart's... Oh, boy, the layers are on coming off the <laughs> right
1: now,
0: Matt. <laughs> ...which was the year Willie Taggart was the running back coach at Stanford. So... And then uh, second place is Lendell White at twenty four, Kareem Carey uh, at twenty three, OJ Simpson at twenty, uh, Kareem Carey at OJ Simpson at twenty three. Skip Hicks, Corey Dillon, Tommy Burdell, Marcus Allen are all tied. Act Twelve has some really good running backs. At, at twenty two, uh, Freeman
1: currently sits at nine. So he needs twenty touchdowns over the next say they go to a bowl game, ten games. Yeah, that's doable. It's two a game. And I mean, I, 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 I mean, that does seem doable to me, and I, I know. You can't expect him to continue at that pace, but he started off so hot, and they've got nine. And the, and the other reality is, I Benoit has six. If some of those, you know, if some of these situations where Benoit is not in the game, Royce might have opportunity for four or five touchdowns in a game. And if he gets there, that makes getting to 29 much more easy. And that'll be something, obviously, we'll track throughout the course of the season. He also would be on pace to run for about 2,000 yards if they play in a bowl game because he's averaging about 152 yards a game or it something. It is like
0: safe that. to say he's going to obliterate the career-rushing record, which is 59, held by Ken Simonton from 98 to 2001 at Oregon State. Freeman's second, and he has 53 career-rushing numbers, so he's six away. Shoot, the way he's scoring, he might break it this week. I mean, No, there's Matt's hot take.
1: (laughs) Royce is going to run for six touchdowns on Saturday. You heard it here first.
0: (laughs) Probably not going to happen,
1: but... I mean,
0: you could say in the next two weeks he could break it. I, I think that's not unreasonable. Um, but, yeah, very possible he sets the single-season rushing record. Um, very possible he sets the career rushing record. And ironically enough, the next one that he runs for will give him sole possession of second place with 54. And the player he's currently tied with is Michael, Michael James. James.
1: So that will be the Oregon career rushing touchdown record. Um, another question has jumped in here, so we have two. Um, Adam Chamillo asks, "How's ASU's D line? Terrible." Um, <laughs> there it is, very succinct. <laughs> how will, Oregon, how will uh, Oregon's offensive line look setting up the run? Yeah, uh, not a strength of their defense. Um, Arizona State's actually a pretty good linebacker. Um, they have a couple good defensive ends that get after the passer. JoJo Wicker comes to mind, but. Yeah, the interior there's not very good. I think Oregon, this is why I was fairly confident about getting to 350, because I don't think Arizona State's very good up front. And last question from Jeff R. Miller, is Oregon recruiting another big back to replace Royce Freeman? That's, you know, that's the
0: question. You know, who, who becomes next year's big back? I don't think you can ask Tony Brooks James to be a guy to do what Royce is doing. 25, 26, 29, 30 carries, uh, per game. He's just not built that way to, to withstand that kind of, uh, pounding. Can Tony Brooks James do 15, 16, 17 carries a game? Yeah, and that might be the way Oregon goes next season, where a guy like Tony Brooks James gets 14 carries, and then a guy like Darian Felix, who's, who's a freshman this year, hasn't played
1: yet. So he's been on the travel squad. He's though. been on
0: the travel squad, but you can you can you can make a case he could be red so he might be a red shirt freshman. Um, you know, you have Darian, you know, you have CJ Verdell and also Cyrus Abiy two other true freshmen that are on this team. You know, you, you could make a case where Tony Brooks James gets 15 carries next year and then, uh, Felix maybe gets 10 or 12 and Verdell gets nine or 10, uh, and then, you know, someone else gets eight or nine carries right. and they just kind of evenly distribute them, um, situationally, uh, next season. But yeah, for 2019, uh the recruiting class, that's their goal. They want a big back. They want to get a guy that can be that power runner like a Freeman is, um, like a Benoit is. Uh because in two thousand eighteen they've got Jamal Elliott. I don't know if you would say he's a scat back. He's not um, a big back. But though. he's not a big back either. Uh and then on top of that they've also got Travis Dye, Troy Dye's younger brother, a three star running back commit, who is a scat back. He's very you know very quick, very shifty, but he's also uh Considerably smaller than their running back's Strang- Strangely
1: enough, probably the best power back they have on the roster from what we've seen is maybe CJ Verdell, yeah. who's Well one Dante of the smallest Pimpleton. Guys.
0: Dante Pimpleton, Oregon's running back coach, told me the very thing that, you know, pound for pound, he's our toughest runner. Um he, he said the issue with Verdell, with though is we don't want to run him so much early on in his career just because does he have the, the durability to to take that, that kind of a pounding? So that's going to do it for us uh, on this podcast. Again, um, thanks for listening. Uh, to recap, Oregon, Eric is predicting a victory 49-31. I'm predicting a 63-26 victory. Uh, Oregon improves to 4-0. And I, I guess real quick before we yeah, ra- wrap this up, um, there's going to be some games between ranked opponents this week. Uh Oregon obviously isn't one of them because Arizona State's one and two. Correct. Um, But do you think – how high high can Oregon climb in the polls this week? I know polls don't matter. Mm -hmm. Polls are fun to talk about,
1: though. They are fun to talk about. Uh,
0: They provide fake hype for games at times um, until we get late in the year uh, when it truly does matter. But. Do you see Oregon having an opportunity to get into the top 20? You know, you've got Utah, who's a, who's a, uh, one spot ahead of Oregon. They're playing on the road at Arizona. Um,
1: you've got, I think they'll probably be at Arizona.
0: Probably. You've got USC, who's fifth in the country going to three and California. Ooh. 16 TCU goes to Oklahoma State, who's sixth in the country. Ooh. Uh, you've got Michigan, who's a eighth in the country going on the road to Purdue. They'll probably win that one. Um, you, you, you've also got 17 Mississippi State going to uh, 11 Georgia. You've got San Diego State going on the road to Air Force. Uh, you've got Auburn going to Missouri, who's head, ranked ahead of Oregon, and you've also got you know Florida, who's 20th, going 3 and 0. Kentucky, and you've got Washington, who's 3 and 0 and seventh in the country, going to 3 and 0 and undefeated Colorado. So there's some games here. There could be some upsets. Do you, do you see Oregon having a, an opportunity to have a huge jump if I, they win big?
1: Well, I was going to say, it depends on if they win with my score or with your score. If they win with your score, I think it's going to become easier and easier for the narrative to become Oregon is back. They just went on the road against the Pac-12 team, even though it's not a very good one. Right. And just blasted them like Oregon has done for about a decade. Oregon's back. And you look at the college, the kind of the way college football looks this year and I don't think outside of a couple of teams, there are that many dominant teams. And maybe you start saying, well, maybe Oregon is kind of, maybe not in the top 10, but I mean, maybe Oregon kind of starts feeling like a team that is 15-ish. a top 15-ish team. And maybe some start pollsters. I mean, I, saw, I think Oregon was the highest ranking I thought this week was 17 from one of the AP polls. Maybe you start seeing people start putting Oregon in that 13 to 15 to 16 range, and that moves you from 24 to 19 or something like that. I don't think that's out of the normal possibility. If Oregon goes and just blows out... Arizona State. Is it possible that they play Cal at home and and they're and they're ranked 19th in the country? I think that wouldn't be unreasonable.
0: Would would be interesting to see what happens. We get the luxury of of playing the what if game. Yeah. Um, and this is going to make the podcast go a little bit longer, but I think it's a fun discussion. At least, um, what happens if Oregon and Cal both win? This Cal, week. this weekend. Cal would be 4-0 coming off a victory over number 5 USC. Oregon would be 4-0, probably ranked close to 20, maybe a little bit below that. Does game day consider that? Is that even an option? Or what happens in two weeks if, say, Washington State upsets USC for their first loss? Uh, and Oregon at that point is undefeated as well. And the Cougars are 5-0 and the Ducks are 5-0. I think there's a possibility where maybe they don't get it, but they're at least in the discussion of, hey, should ESPN come out to Eugene in the next couple well, of weeks? I
1: think that Washington State game of the home games, well, I think to begin the season and then also now remaining on the schedule is probably the game that game day is looking at most. We looked at the schedule around the country. It's actually not a great – there's not a lot of marquee games that weekend to begin with. Um, if both teams are undefeated and say both teams are in that 15 to eighteen range or something like that. I could see them making a trip out. Game Day loves Eugene. Have not been, I believe, in a couple of years. I believe since the two thousand and fourteen season. Um and yeah, I could see Game Day coming. I don't know about Cal. I think Cal doesn't quite have the star power quite yet, even though if they do beat USC that'll be three wins over teams I think we think are pretty good. And that Carolina week uh and, that we can Clemson plays Virginia Tech. Yeah it's gonna be hard
0: to beat that. Yeah. Uh that'll do it for us. I, I think If if Oregon goes undefeated into Washington State and the Cougars pull off the upset at home, it's, and that's key at home, yeah, against USC, my hot take for this podcast is game day is coming, uh, and you can almost book it, guaranteed if that scenario plays out. Um, just because they love the Cougars, they can also come back to Eugene. They love coming here, and Corso and Herb have. Gone on record multiple times saying that this is one of the favorite places to come for college game. Day. They haven't been here in a while. You've got the Willie Taggart effect, we're gonna be five and two top twenty game teams playing right. off against each other. That plays out, game day is coming to Eugene, and it's just crazy that we're even talking about that scenario playing out uh this early in Willie Taggart's career. Uh, absolutely. That will finally do it for us. I assure you, Eric, we are done now with the podcast. I want my lunch, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, again, if you like us on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Oregon247. Like us there. You'll get notifications of uh, every day when we re- recap practice. Uh, we do Facebook Lives. We also do these Facebook Lives. When we record these podcasts as well. We're also now on iTunes. Uh, all you got to do is search for Duck Territory Podcast, and that will uh, pop it up right for you. Uh, we're free. Um, downloads are already improving and, and going up through iTunes as well. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Uh, the last week we've been approved and I, I, I checked our numbers yesterday and I was blown away by the reception we've had just be, you know, by our listeners. So thank you for listening to this. Uh, we will be back next Monday recapping the Arizona State game, uh, whether it be a win or a, shock, a shocking loss. Uh, I'll be at Arizona State, so we'll have coverage there. Eric will be helping remotely, um, so we'll have tons of coverage this week leading up to the game and then uh, also post-game as well. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you sometime soon.